Hey guys, welcome to Shelby Christian. I'm Evan, and this is what's happening on the Hill. We want to invite you into the season of thankfulness by first of all thanking you for participating and donating gift cards to our staff and our pastors last month during Pastor Appreciation Month. Thank you so much for blessing them and their families. We also want to invite you to our annual Thanksgiving dinner. It'll take place November 10th at 545. We'll meet in the gym and the church is going to provide turkey, rolls, mashed potatoes, and drinks. We just ask that each family that attends bring a side item and a dessert. We'll gather together for a time of fellowship and a meal before we head upstairs at 7 o'clock for our Thursday night worship service. We hope to see you there. If you're new here at Shelby Christian and you'd like to get connected, Pathways is the place for you to start. We have our next meeting on Tuesday, November 15th from 6 to 8.30. We do provide child care and dinner. If you'd like to come to step one, we talk about salvation and membership. Step two, we talk about discipleship. And step three, serving and giving. If any of those places is helpful to you to get connected at Shelby Christian Church, we'd love to see you on November 15th. They're back. It's time for our annual collection of the Samaritan's Purse Operation Christmas Child Boxes. If you've already picked one up to take home and fill for a child, thank you so much. We ask that all boxes are returned to Shelby Christian Church no later than November 20th. And in the spirit of Christmas giving, if you've helped in the past, we'll be having our Salvation Army Angel Tree again this year. You can check it out in the lobby if you'd like to give to local families in need this season. Don't forget to join us on Saturday, November 12th for the Celebration of Lights in downtown Shelbyville. Shelby Christian will have a booth set up on Main Street. If you'd like more information, contact Jason Haggard. If you're visiting at Shelby Christian, we'd love for you to stop by our I'm New Wall in the lobby. You can learn how to get connected and find groups at the church. And if you just need a hug, there's somebody there to greet you too. Will you stand to your feet, church? We're so glad that you've come into the house of the Lord to worship Him. We just want to lift Him high. His broken hearts declare His praise. But who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is light, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before Him. Our God is Lamb, the Lamb that will save. For the sin of the world, His blood breaks the chains. Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before Him. 
today to come together and to worship in corporate worship this time of service we always take time out to remember what Jesus did for us the price that he paid as we take the bread and the juice together we remember and we have communion together and I think about the song that I just sang and one day every knee will bow when he came and died the first time every knee didn't bow but one day when he comes back it won't be meek but it'll be as a king riding a white horse amen so today as I get ready to pray take time when you get the elements and just hold them and just Take a second to reset. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, that one day 
Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And you went away to prepare a wonderful place for us, God. Our mind can't comprehend because your ways, your ways are so much higher than ours, God. Well, we thank you for that great hope. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
mighty friend. Amen. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaking, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. Cause he's never
And the best part of even being able to say that is looking around and seeing stories in this room. Some of you've got the story where you've been through it and he never failed you. He never failed you. And you need to share. So God is doing incredible stuff here. He's, I mean, Thursday night was an incredible time of worship. And we're bringing this series to an end. And so I got a couple big asks for you to right now, okay? Number one is stay in here. Stay in here, because I don't know about you, it doesn't distract me that much, but I do know this, every time somebody gets up and leaves, every head in the place turns, and that person next to you might be the one that needs to accept Jesus today. So hang with us, especially even at the end. Greeters, you'll have time to get to your doors. When we when get that, don't leave till that last song's over, okay? Because it's that important. And get here early, because from now on, our announcements are on video like they were this morning, and we'll play them again at the end of the service, but we're not going to waste the important time in here with what we we need to do with making announcements. You got to catch the video, okay? So here we go, here we go, here we go. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone who was debating with you why they were still at no? And they were, they were saying something like this, I just don't think it matters. I just don't think it matters at all. We're going to, someday we're all going to die. Even atheists believe that, right? <laughs> Someday we're all going to die on this earth, and then it's just over. And it's just over. And every time I get in that conversation, I've got one question. What if I'm right? What if what I, what I believe is right? If what you believe is right, then it really doesn't matter anything. But if what we believe the Bible says is true, it's critically important. It's critically important to make that move. It's amazing to me how many people who go on a journey to disprove everything about God end up, without a shadow of a doubt, in their mind proving God. Galen Lee Strobel was the, uh, the editor, the investigative editor for the Chicago Tribune at a time when it was the largest newspaper in the world. He was well-trained, well-skilled at being able to sit through trials and investigations and be able to separate truth from lies. That was what he was trained to do, and then to record it and to write about it. And, and he, was, he was top of his game at that until his wife went to a church service and gave her life to Jesus. Because Lee and his wife had both been uh, proclaimed atheist, and she came home one night and told him what she had done, and he went ballistic. And so Lee Strobel went on a one-year, nine-month journey to use all of his investigative skills to prove her wrong. 
to prove that everything that she had just bought into was just made up and it was a lie and there was no way she should believe in that and there was no way he was going to believe in that. And so for a year and nine months, he did that. If you've seen the movie, some of you have seen it. If not, you ought to watch it. It's called The Case for Christ. And it shows how he gets this, he gets this room and brings in these huge chalkboards and marker boards and covers them with post-it notes like if he were doing an investigation of a crime and trying to connect the dots along the way. A year and nine months into that investigation, here's what Lee Strobel said. He just said, I discovered in light of the torrent of evidence flowing in the direction of Christianity that it would require more faith for me to maintain my atheism than to become a Christian. That was over 40 years ago, and for the last 40 years, Lee Strobel has devoted his life to investigating the claims of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He's got a whole series of books called The Case For, The Case for Faith, The Case for Christ, The Case for Creation, The Case for Christmas. They're magnificent, apologetic books that help us to understand why we believe what we believe. And so in this journey that we've been on for four weeks now, we've been talking about four steps to Jesus, and we started off at no, which no was really for atheists, but that's a big word. So we just said, what does it actually mean? No, no. Do I, do I believe in God? No, no. That's what atheists believe. And so in that first week, the, 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 pro, the proposition was, would you consider Would you consider, or would you help your friends consider, just taking a step from no atheist to agnostic or maybe, maybe, I'll at least open my heart and my mind, maybe, maybe I'll look into things, but maybe, I'm not going to... Okay, I'm past, maybe. And that's all we asked the first week. And we, and we talked a lot about that first week. We talked a lot about origins. And just like, okay, like there's something, there's something. The second week, we talked about moving from, uh, from agnostic to deist. Or from maybe to, okay. Okay, in that I believe that there is some kind of creator. I believe that all this stuff didn't just happen with some kind of cosmic explosion. I, that, I believe that part of it. And, and we talked a lot that week about uh, intelligent design and about what that looks like. And we gave all kinds of facts and information about that. And then last week, Bobby took you on the third step and did a great job taking you on the third step from deism to yes. From, from deism to, I, I believe, theism, I believe in God. I believe in one God. Bobby gave you great biblical, uh, biblical evidence and, and references and even handouts. I mean, he gave you great stuff to, to help, help you or somebody else go from, uh, okay, to, yeah, yeah, I believe. I believe in a God that's a creator. But the problem here is for a lot of times, it's I believe in God that's a creator and did everything, but he's kind of separated now. He's kind of like, almost like the Bette Midler, you know, from a distance song. But the critical step, and, and we've talked about all every week, that the probability is the majority of people that we know are right here. And the overwhelming majority of that number is stalled right here. Yeah, I believe in God. Stop on the street. You believe in God? Yeah, absolutely, I believe in God. It's that last step. That step from, yeah, I believe in God, to I believe that his son Jesus Christ died for my sins, and I'm willing to go all in. I'm willing to put it all in. 
In, in recent times, in recent times, that terminology all in, you know where it comes from? It comes from TV poker. You know, we watched it on TV. And, and when the guy, the guy or the girl thinks he's got, they've got the great hand that nobody can probably beat, all in. All the chips are in. I put, I put, I'm risking it all. I'm either going to win it all or lose it all on this decision. I'm all in. What would it look like if we really went all in for Jesus? Because this guy, Jesus, let, I'll be honest, he made some pretty bold statements during the 33 years he was here on earth. Bold enough that this man, Jesus, has to be, he has to be either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. That's about it. Those are the choices. He said stuff like, he said, if you have seen me, you've seen God. I am, I and the Father am one. That's bold. That's bold. He said, whoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's bold. He he said, God did not send me to condemn the world, but to save it. That's bold. Those kind of statements leave us, I think, with two huge questions. Two huge questions. First of all, did Jesus really say these things? And secondly, and part of that is, are they true? Are they true? See, the early followers of Jesus were preaching and teaching within just a few days and weeks after the crucifixion because they had witnessed something that made them know it's true. The things he said were true. See, the resurrection Get this, get this, write this down, take a picture. The the resurrection is the core belief of Christianity today. Everything, everything rises and falls on the resurrection. Listen to some things some of Jesus' close associates or people that knew and witnessed him in different ways said about him. The apostle Paul, who his witness of Jesus was actually in a very miraculous way on the way to a town called Damascus. This guy Paul, who at that time was named Saul, was one of the leading advocates of destroying Christianity. He had been convinced that the best thing he could do with his life is to fight this thing of Christianity with all he had. And so he was having people murdered, he was having people arrested, and he was on his way to Damascus one day to do that very thing. And on his way to Damascus, he has this miraculous experience where he is blinded by light and God speaks to him. And the only thing he can do is look up in heaven and see Jesus. Listen to what he wrote about it. He said, I passed on to you what was most important and what was also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures say. He was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures say. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. If not for the resurrection, if not for the, because the crucifixion was brutal. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the crucifixion didn't mean anything by itself. Thousands of men and women were crucified during that era of history. But the resurrection is what separates that crucifixion from any other. 
another close follower of Jesus, actually his best friend, a guy named John, wrote these words in 1 John. He said, we proclaim to you the one who existed, uh, existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. Notice that, whom we, we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This is one uh, who is life itself has revealed to us. And we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and he was revealed to us. Now, we know. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this man Jesus was crucified. There's, there's no debating that. There's no debating. Because, because history outside of the Bible, writers like Josephus and so many others record about the crucifixion of this man Jesus. There's no debating that. The debate is who was he really and the resurrection. We know that. We know that. J. Vernon McGee was this old country preacher. Uh, used to be on the radio, wrote a lot of books. Fabulous theologian. Fabulous theologian. Wrote all these books. And he said one day a lady, a lady contacted him and said, Brother McGee, our preacher told us that on Easter, Jesus was swooned on the cross and his disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think about that? In other words, he just fainted and he passed out because of the extreme pain and everything that was going on. What do you think about that? <laughs> McGee wrote back to her and he said, Dear sister, I suggest you beat your preacher with a whip uh, 39 times, that you nail him to a cross, that you hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his heart, embalm him, put him in an airtight tomb for three days, and then write back and tell me what happened. It's one of the leading thoughts about why there was no resurrection. He never died. Come on, are you kidding me? I was fortunate enough to go to Chicago Years ago, when the movie The Passion of the Christ, Passion of the Christ um, by Mel Gibson came out. And uh, we flew up to, Chris Crane and I flew up to Chicago for the day. We were at Willow Creek Church when they showed the premiere. Mel Gibson was there. And in this, this huge, this huge auditorium, all the big screens, all the little screens, everything had it on there. You were surrounded by The Passion of the Christ and you're watching it for the very first time. It was so quiet. You could hear a pin drop until it got to the crucifixion. And at that point, all you could hear were gasps and sobs all over this auditorium. Because what we watched in the movie was, if you haven't seen it, I don't know to tell you you should or you shouldn't, because it's horrific. It's horrific. And yet most experts tell us that what we witnessed in Mel Gibson's portrayal and version uh, of the Passion of Christ paled in comparison to what it was really like. And I can't imagine that. I, I can't imagine that at all. You see, Roman soldiers weren't in the habit of letting condemned, condemned criminals just faint. No, they made sure that that person was dead before his body ever came 
off the cross. And so the rest of our time this morning, I just want to answer three questions for you. We'll be done. I think it's three critical questions to why or how am I going to make that move? The first question I think we got to answer is, why should I go all in? Why in the world should I go all in? There's, there's so many reasons. Let me start with this one. What about the eyewitness testimonies? We know that historic, we know historically that the 27 books of the New Testament were written while eyewitnesses of Jesus were still alive. The New Testament wasn't written years after his life on earth, years after the crucifixion, years after the resurrection. The writers of the New Testament were alive and well during the time of this man Jesus here on earth. Many of them had seen firsthand, and if they hadn't seen it firsthand themselves, their mom or their dad or their aunt or their uncle, somebody that they knew and trusted had seen it. They, so they were eyewitnesses of what had gone. So Paul said this. He said, Jesus was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by the apostles. And last of all, I love this. I saw him. I saw him. The, in that list that Paul gives there, there are so many amazing things. He starts off, he says, you see, first of all, by Peter. Because when Jesus came out of the tomb and, and the women saw him and realized who he was, he said, go get my disciples and Peter. He named Peter specifically. Why did Jesus want to see Peter? Peter was the one that the night he was going to be killed denied that he even knew him after having said, I'll never let anybody do anything to you. And Jesus had to make sure that Peter knew, we're good. We're good. I know what was going on. I've forgiven you. In fact, I'm going to build my church on you. And so he calls for Peter. And so he called for Peter when, he, when the women saw him. And, and Paul makes sure and said, Peter saw him first. And then the other 12, and then 500 more who are standing and still alive. And then, he's, then he was seen by James. You know how significant that is? James was Jesus' brother. He was the biological child of Joseph and Mary. He was the younger brother that grew up in the house watching Jesus. And in their teen years, hearing things said about Jesus and like the time that Jesus stays behind in the temple and they go walking a day back to, uh, back home after uh, the census. And then they had to turn around, they had to turn the family minivan around. No, they were walking. They had to go back and get Jesus. And James is one of the siblings is like, oh man, he's going to get it. He's going to get it. No, he didn't get it. Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? What? So James didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was until the resurrection. Until the resurrection. Because James was probably still one of the few that were around close when Jesus actually died with his mother, with Mary there. And then after the resurrection and he saw him, James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He'd been completely changed. Ancient literature doesn't embellish stories. Details were reserved for true stories in ancient literature. Listen how Luke, who was a doctor, 
probably the most intelligent man uh, that, that wrote about this. Because he's a doctor. He's a trained doctor. And listen to how he records Jesus' life. The beginning of Luke 1. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I decided to write a careful account. Having carefully investigated, he's, he's the Lee Strobel of this time. I'm going to do an investigation. I'm going to find out the details. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to get, and then I'm going to write an account. And then in chapter 3, he goes on to say, It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor, and Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, and Herod Antipas, the ruler over Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler over Euturia, and Trachonitis, and Lysanus, was the ruler over Abilene, Annas, and Caiaphas were the high priests. And at this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness, the cousin of Jesus. Do you see what Luke did there? He gives you all the details. I want to be sure you understand when this was. These were the people, these were the dudes that were in charge at this time. At this moment in history, this is when this happened. Another interesting, striking detail about the eyewitnesses of the resurrection is the first ones were women. It may not seem like a big deal, but in that day and time, in the first century, Women were considered such unreliable witnesses that their testimonies weren't even admissible in court. But the people that saw them knew those ladies, those first few ladies who had been at the tomb, they knew something had happened. They knew these women aren't making this stuff up. They saw it. They went to the tomb first. Furthermore, a lot of the early witnesses, the earliest Christians were actually Jews. Here's the interesting thing about that. Jews didn't worship people at all. Jews didn't worship human beings, period. Romans did. Greeks did. Jews didn't. But something happened that was so dynamic and so dramatic that a group of Jews decided that Jesus was the divine son of God. It's almost incomprehensible unless the resurrection was real. The eyewitnesses' accounts are profound. They're amazing. What about the empty tomb? We've got to consider the empty tomb. You can't just write that off. If we know that Jesus was crucified, what happened to the body? What happened to the body? 2,000 years later, there's no body, there's no bones. What happened to the body? If the enemy stole the body, they would surely have produced it. And the interesting thing is, as Jesus was being killed, the, the leaders told the soldiers to go and put a stone in front of the tomb and to guard the tomb because they were afraid that he was going to come out or that somebody would steal the body. And so they wanted to make sure there was no possible way that anybody could steal the body. And if his enemies had stolen the body, if his enemies had stolen the body, they would have produced the body. After all the talk of resurrection started that he's alive, they would have walked into the county square and said, "Uh uh-uh, look, he ain't alive. We've had the body all along. But they had nothing to produce. 
if his friends had just stolen the body and had it somewhere in hiding and he really wasn't alive, do you think they would have gone out and done the things they did if they had known what they were talking about was actually a lie because Jesus was back in another tomb somewhere where they had hidden him? They wouldn't have gone through that if they had known it was a lie. Some people even try to say, well, they, they just went to the wrong tomb. Really? You ever been to any, any cemetery? You go up here to Grove Hill? You, 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 can, you, know, you can figure out certain families in any cemetery, in any community, because there's certain families that like you go in and it ain't just a tombstone. You know, it's like enormous. And those are typically people that have significant funds. Joseph of Arimathea was the owner of the tomb where Jesus was laid. He had significant funds. He, he wasn't on the cheap. And there was no mistake in Jerusalem about which tomb or which hillside of tombs belonged to Joseph. There was no mistake about that at all. And... and the guards. What do you do with the guards? These are big dudes with swords and spears, and they're not, they, were, they were commissioned not to let anybody in. And if they did, it, their life was in jeopardy. That's why they were terrified when they realized that the tomb was empty and the stone was rolled away. I think it's interesting. Every, nearly every country in the world have tombs, spectacular tombs for their founders. You go to the center of Russia and you go find Stalin's tomb and the inscription there is, he was a great man. He was a great leader of a nation. He was loved. If there was a tomb or is, there is a tomb, the inscription at Jesus' tomb should be, he is a great man. He is a leader of people. He is loved. There's no mistake in the tomb. No getting away from the soldiers. And, and, and they would have had these great burial sites if he was still there. Unless they knew he wasn't. See, here's another fact. When bodies go missing in any country, people want to know why. That's not normal. We get, even before, without it, we get amber alerts and silver alerts. I get them on my phone all the time. When suddenly we can't find someone that we think should be a certain place, we get concerned. And nothing's found. And maybe the last greatest reason of why we should go all in is, I want you to take just a moment and think about the fantastic faith that these people had despite persecution. See, during the actual crucifixion, even the arrest and the trials, the, the disciples, they kind of they went ghost. They, they kind of like went into hiding. The, the, the close followers, they were scared to death that I'm next. And then if I step up, there's going to be a fourth and fifth and sixth cross up on that hill tomorrow. And so they disappeared for three days. And then something dramatic changed their mind and they came out of hiding and they wouldn't shut up about what had happened. The authorities 
could not make them shut up about what had happened. See, people don't die for a lie if they know it's a lie. Just don't do that. Now, granted, some people will die for a lie if they think it's the truth. Unfortunately, we've witnessed that. Those are the kind of people that fly planes into buildings that die for a lie because they believe it's the truth, even though it's a lie. But these men and women were being tortured because they wouldn't shut up about what they had seen, about what they had heard, and about what they had touched. Everything rises and falls on the resurrection. If he came back to life, it's safe to assume he was telling the truth. And if he didn't, all bets are off and there's no reason to go all in. Some people just say, well, yeah, that Jesus guy, yeah, he was real. He's a great teacher. And that's all. Do you know that there's even a group out there called Atheists for Jesus? New and breaking evidence I found this week. They openly acknowledge this teacher Jesus. And they love his teaching about things like the golden rule, doing to others as you would have them do unto you. They love his teaching about uh, loving your neighbor. They love all that stuff, but they deny that he is deity, that he is God. But see, there's a problem with that. You can't say we love his teaching and deny his deity because part of his teaching was that he was deity. I and the Father am one. And so you can't have it both ways. If his teaching wasn't truth and he knew it wasn't truth, that makes him either just a bold-faced liar. I'm just going to... Makes him a lunatic. He thinks it's true and it's not. Or it makes him Lord. Why should I go all in? Those are three pretty compelling reasons, in my opinion. So, question number two. How do I go all in? How do I go in? Listen to this. Faith means taking one step beyond the evidence. Faith means taking one step beyond what you know is fact. It's taking that, based on those facts, I'll take that extra step. I'll do the Indiana Jones and walk across the bridge of rocks that you can't see, but I'll just take the step and go out there. I'm going to trust because there's enough factual evidence that I'll take a faith step. Faith means taking one step beyond the evidence. So how do we do that? It starts by trusting. It starts not... Yeah, believing, but taking belief a little bit further. Taking belief and putting it into action. That's what trust is. It's belief put into action. I'm going to take that next step of faith beyond the evidence. And I'm going to trust Jesus is who he said he was. The second thing we have to do is repent. And, and that's where a lot of times we get, we get messed up. And we, because a lot of people want to say, yeah, I want to, I want to accept Jesus. And really what they want is an insurance policy. Really what they want is, okay, just in case this stuff is true, I'll say I believe. But they want to keep living like they've been living. They want to keep doing what they've been doing. 
But that word repent gets in the way of that because that word repent means a complete change, a complete turnaround. It means I was headed this way in life and I realized this isn't the right way. This is leading me to a bad spot and I'm going to make a complete turnaround and repent and head in a, not necessarily be perfect, but my intentions, my goals, my striving is going to be completely different than it was before. I'm turning around a complete 180 turnaround. And then they're going to confess his name. They're going to, see, that's what got Peter in trouble. That night in the garden, hey, you're one of them. You're you're one of them. You talk like you were with him. No, 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 not me. Not me. In Peter's mind, I'm 100% positive this. In Peter's mind, he still believed in Jesus. He wasn't willing to confess it. He didn't want to get caught up in it. And so we have to take that step of faith where we want the whole, we're not doing nothing in secret. We're not, we're not behind closed doors. We're, we're, we broadcast of it. We want everybody to know that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I've gone all in, all in for him to confess his name and then to take that next step and to actually surrender your sins, to actually submit. That's why baptism is so, so significant. Because when a person is baptized, and praise God, we had two people Thursday night after service said, we're all in, and they're, getting, they're, they're making plans with the family to get baptized. And we hope people will do that today. But there's that moment where you, like you submit, somebody's going to put you underwater. Bury your sin, bury your old self. And that same person is going to raise you back up out of the water, raised to walk in Christ. And, and that's significant. You're a new person, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And it's significant that we do all of these things if we're going to go all in. But there's one more question. And we've got to land here and finish here. And that is, not only why should I go in, or how should I go on, how do I go all in, but how do I live all in? How do I live an all in kind of life? Philippians chapter 2, Paul said this, Though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to hold on to, to cling to, to grasp. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name that is above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is glory, uh, is Lord to the glory of the Father. Those are words are written by a man who spent his entire early adult life persecuting the church, killing Christians, and then came to know this is real. He is real. He is who he said he is. And he said, and we should all live like Jesus. There's all kinds of tough stands that Christ's followers have to make to be different, not strange, just different from the world. Like, we need to ask, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or answer out loud for sure. Just let me ask you some questions. Does your language glorify Jesus? 
it's one thing to sing great songs of praise and raise our hands, but when we leave here, especially when we go back to work, when we're in the neighborhood, when we're with our family, does our language glorify Christ? Let's get real serious about this. What about your sexual decisions? Do your sexual decisions reflect what Jesus desires? What about your financial decisions? Do they show that you actually trust God to be your provider, that every good and perfect gift comes from Him? Are you generous in all things? Generous in all things. Do do you spend time with him daily? And it doesn't have to be a great amount of time. It could be a little bit of time. Kim and I both have, you on version, the app on your phone, Kim and I both have daily reading groups. I've got a men's group. She's got a women's group that you can get on version, and we'll put you on our group and just read a little bit with other Christians, other followers of Christ. See me if you want to do that. How about this one? Because of what you believe about God and about Jesus and you're all in, are you willing to protect the sanctity of human life? If so, you better vote yes on Tuesday. And before anybody gets upset, today's on political. I'm not, there's nothing political about that. That is not a political statement whatsoever. That is a moral statement. That is a biblical statement. It has nothing to do with a political party or a political candidate. See, that stand and that statement is because of a candidate that died on a cross to save the world from their sins. There's so much stuff. You better research the amendment. This is serious. You better research it because there's so many lies being told. I listen to sports talk radio. and One of the shows I listen to is playing this commercial that is nothing but lies. It's saying all these things to scare people, to say, well, if a woman has a miscarriage, they won't be able to go in and get that, that child that died. That's a lie. The law says that is protect. That is, that's different because that's no longer a living person. That's a deceased person. Don't buy into the lies. Take a stand. See, we've identified five core values that we feel the Bible the Bible talks to us about that we think the Bible says this should be the DNA of a fully devoted disciple and we don't live these core values to earn our salvation we do it because of our salvation there are those things over there when you came in today you should have gotten a card that looks like this tell you what if you did not get a card that looks like this would you raise your hand right now because there are people in here that have got extra cards they'll bring you one alright if you don't have a card raise your hand where there's couple hands over here this way. All right. Here's the deal. I don't want these back. Don't panic. I do not want these back because this is personal. This is personal. Here's what we want to do. We want to real quickly, we want to go through the five core values and we're done. We want to ask you for 2023, start tomorrow, but for 2023 to make these commitments based on these core values. Number one, worship. When it comes to worship, will you and your family commit to breaking the 1.8 barrier? 
You know what? You know what? Remember last series we talked about the 1.8? That's the average, that's the amount of times a month the average Christian is attending church right now. 1.8 times. And you say, oh, there's no way. Let me tell you, I can prove it. I can prove it right here at Shelby Christian Church. You get on our database right now, we have over 3,000 members. That sounds great. We're averaging about 1,100 in attendance. Everybody shows up on Easter. We, can, we almost get that number on Easter. But normal Sundays, nowhere near. Nowhere near. So what if we all, what if we all make a commitment to moving forward, I'm going to break that 1.8 barrier. Not just barely scoot past it. Not just get the 2.1. But to say, if I'm a Sunday morning worshiper on Saturday night, the alarm's set and I'm ready to go. I challenge the Thursday night people that the Thursday night worship decision is made on Wednesday. It's not a, it's not a, well, if I feel like it, I'll go. No, worship is important. So we're going to get together. Number two, we've got to move. Study. I'm going to challenge you to be committed to daily personal study in your Bible, on your phone, however you do it, and to get in some kind of a group, to get in a life group, to organize a life group, to see Bobby about that, or just, hey, how about this? Some of you ladies, you got some friends around, maybe here in the church, maybe not in the church, and you say, hey, would you all like to get together one morning a week and have coffee? And we'll talk about the word. Some of you guys that say, hey, two or three guys, hey, let's get together before we head off to work or after we get home from work or let's go to the gym. Let's whatever. Let's disciple one another. Let's hold each other accountable. Would you commit to that kind of relationship of study? Number three, would you serve? Are you committed to serving either on campus? And folks, listen, we need you on campus so bad, so bad. We need greeters at the door just smiling and hoping the door's up. We need more. Because we, ideally, we need two greeters at every door. You know why? So that if a brand new person shows up, somebody, one of them, can take that person and guide them around and make sure they can figure out the maze of this place, get their kids downstairs, and somebody still be at the door. <coughs> so Brett needs more greeters. We desperately need people in the nursery. And guys, do not just put it off on the ladies. You created them. Help take care of them. You need to see Callista. We need nursery workers. She's sitting right over here right now. You need to see her. Say, all right, how, you know, I'll do it some. Down in the... Matt and Tiffany hardly ever get to be in worship themselves. Because they don't have enough people working in the children's area. We got to fix that. So would you commit to serve? Or not, if not on campus, off campus. We got awesome, awesome serving opportunities off campus. Some of the stuff that we're doing in the public schools is amazing. Jason needs more volunteers to help with that. To, to help out at ALC. To, the, the veterans outreach. We've got great open doors there with Jimmy, who grew up in our church, leading that ministry and leading that village down there. There's so many things we can do off campus. So on here, you'll notice it says, I'm committed to serving on campus or in the community, and I'll serve at, and you fill in your own blank. I, you'll, you'll know. Lastly, give. I'm committed to giving generously. Giving generously in everything. Now, part of that is, is tithing. And we'll be talking about that. Part of that is tithing. And, and, and so, if that's you, then you know. 
And, it, and if you say, I can't do that right now, okay, well, what can you do? Where will you start? And, and understand that it's just a start because until you get to tithing, here's, spoiler alert, you're still robbing God. That's what the Bible says, not Dave. But let's work toward that. Let's work toward that. And finally, the share. I'm committed to sharing my story. Man, you guys got awesome stories. I don't even know them all. But I'm just looking around, just glancing around right now. I'm not going to point anybody. I'm just going to go around the room. I know some stories in here right now. You got some incredible stories. You know what happened to me this week? Since last Sunday, three times this week, I had to be in businesses in our community. And three different times this week in different businesses, I had individuals say, hey, you're Dave. I never know quite how to respond to that. You know, like, I don't know what. And then they'll say, I've been coming to your church. Well, first of all, it's not my church. It's his church, but thanks. Cool. And then I always ask the same question. How'd you end up there? How'd you end up there? And every one of them, Every one of them told me about somebody from here that told them their story and how much difference it had made in their life, and they thought, I'm going to come check that out. You guys got amazing stories. Be committed to sharing your story. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I don't want these back. Write on it, whatever you want on it. Put it on your refrigerator. And do not tell me you don't put stuff on your refrigerator. I've seen them. I'd also encourage you today, we've made the photo wall for the next two weeks all about this. If you're here as a family, as a husband and wife or in your entire family, fill this out. And before you leave here in between services, go back there. The lights will be on and somebody will jump in and help take your picture. You stand between the all and the end and take a picture so it can be your reminder on the refrigerator of this. We're all in. I've shoved the chips to the center of the table. We're all in. There's always going to be this step of faith in believing what you haven't witnessed firsthand. The good thing about all this is it's not a blind leap into darkness. The evidence is overwhelming. So here's been my prayer as we've gone through this series. First of all, my prayer has been, if you already believe this stuff, I hope you feel more confident about it. I hope you feel more confident and confident in leading others. If you know someone that isn't all in, that you feel confident enough to help them on this journey. But my real prayer has been that if you don't know Jesus, that you'll come to know him. I don't know how, how much longer we've got. This is a messed up place we live. I don't know how I'd be making it if I didn't know Jesus. And so here's how I want to finish the service. If you're ready to take a final step today like two individuals did Thursday night, maybe you just don't know completely what that means and you need somebody to talk to, here's what I'm going to do. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And then Bobby and Brett, some of our other staff, people around can be over there. Some of our ladies can be over there. And I want to challenge you to go talk to them. Go talk to them. If you're ready to be baptized, we'll do it in between services. I'll stay here all day. I'll stay here all day. I'll preach wet the next service. I do not care. It's that important that you take that step of faith.
So let me ask you right now, would you stand up? And let's pray together. Oh God, thank you for loving us in spite of us. Thank you for loving us when we say, no, I don't believe. Thank you for loving us when we say, well, maybe I believe. Thank you for loving us when we say, okay, I believe in something. Thank you for loving us when we say, I believe in you. But I know, because your word says so, that you want us to believe in Jesus, the human form of you that came and lived among us, dwelt among us. So God, my prayer is this, and if, if people would just pray along, God, if there's someone here that says, I believe, I, I know I'm a sinner. I own my stuff. I know I'm a sinner. I believe. I'm powerless on my own. I believe. But I, although I'm powerless, I know there's a power that can restore my life to sanity and hope and, and a future. God, please forgive me of my sins. Give me a new life. I want to go all in with you. I pray that there are those that have prayed that and thought that prayer in their mind right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen to me. A prayer is important, but a prayer is not enough. If you've prayed that and you've thought that, then while Stu leads us in this song, would you make your way over to the decision room or come down front? Dennis and Bobby and others are over there. I'll be down here. But it's time. Let's go all in. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided Still alive.
I will follow No turning back No turning back If you need to talk to someone Those guys will be over there as soon as service is over Announcement video is getting ready to come on Let's get out of here. Let's go love God, love people. Let's go change the world. See you guys.